0: Worship this morning, as I looked out upon the audience, evidently Malachi must be wearing on some of all of you. It's almost like a Baptist church. Everyone is just kind of congregating towards the back as the fire and brimstone hail down as we preach this this book that um, brings contempt upon God's people. And so what I want to do at the outset this morning is to kind of just ease your heart and your mind. There is good news this morning. Um, as I looked at this passage, and so if you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to Malachi chapter 4. We're going to finish up this book this morning. Um, and as I looked at what was read to you, and as I looked over what I needed to study this week, I think there are two ways that you could really go about preaching this text. Um, and that is really right out of verse 18, um, once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. So I think you could kind of just hone in on those who don't serve and those who don't seek and um, just kind of let the fire and brimstone continue to fall. Um, But I thought, you know, what I think is really helpful about chapter 4 and the way this book is wrapped up is all of What is poured out in chapter 4 has to do with those who are righteous and those who serve God. And so um, all of my attention is going to be on chapter 4 and the final six verses of this book. And so um, hopefully you're there with me. Um, As I noted here just not too long ago, the pulpits of St. Paul over just the past few weeks, we've been kind of honing in on the book of Malachi. It's an extraordinary book. And so, in your mind, I want you to kind of get, um, I want to get your mind in a place now as you think about Malachi, and the first place that I want you to go is to be reminded that this is the last and final book in the Old Testament. This is it. And so, for what will be read, what will be seen, what will be spoken of from God for about the next 400 years will now be silent. Nothing. We, we won't hear from God, if, so if you're in Malachi and you're the people there, you're not going to hear anything for the next 400 years. And so I, I want you to begin to kind of think about that as we go through this extraordinary text here this morning. And the second thing that I want you to think about is, what, what about those who are righteous and those who are serving God? What, what is the prize that we're after? What is it that will receive? And so that's what he does here in chapter 4. Note, in this context, the temple is finished. The worship there has already become very wearisome to the people. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 13. Um, there's situations of divorce. There's situations of intermarriage with unbelievers. And you see that in chapter 2 in verse 10, verse 11. Um, They're withholding tithes, and that's probably what you heard last week. Um, Why are you robbing God? Um, You're robbing me. And so chapter 3, verse 8 outlines that they're withholding tithes. There's social injustice. They're oppressing the poor. Um, All of these things are coming down upon God's people. And so what God does is He uses Malachi to remind His people once again That you are nothing but pilgrims and not natives in this world. You are a pilgrim. So if you know the Lord this morning, um, you're just kind of journeying through. And so I want you to begin to think about those kinds of things. And so what Malachi does here in the final verses is to bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The old covenant and the new covenant between what God has said and done in the past and what he will say and do in the future. That's where we're at this morning. In fact, what we see here in Malachi looking is Malachi really in verses two and three, he's looking forward. Okay, so that's what he does in verses two and three in chapter four. He looks forward. Verse four, he's looking back. Verse five, he's looking forward again. And then he gives in verse 6 some unexpected application. So um, I said this to the 8 o'clock folks. It's kind of what I call the Malachi two-step. You know, he looks forward, he comes back, and then he looks forward again. And then he gives us some application in verse 6, which I think is just completely unexpected. Um, so let's look at verses 2 and 3 and look forward. Friday, December 25th. <laughs> it's coming. And it's coming rapidly. Um, it is right around the corner. And so in case you don't know this, um, from today it is 60 days away. Christmas. 60 days. Are you ready? Good. Neither am I. Right? None of us are ready. And so kids are ready. Kids are always ready for this. It is an incredible time of the year. I love Christmas. Let me say that again. I love Christmas. Christmas. I love Advent. I love the decorations. I love the tree, the lights, the smells. But last and not least, I love the music. Um, I am a lover of Christmas music. My wife is here this morning and she is now thinking in her mind how much I drive her crazy through the month of June and July and August listening to Christmas music, even the heat of the summer. I love Christmas music, right? I love it. I love the season. And I listen to Christmas music all year round. And the significance of what Christmas is to us and the, the birth of Jesus should be astronomical, which is why I love Christmas so much. His life, Jesus' life, has influenced more people over the course of human history than any other single man. I mean, name any man. They pale in comparison to Christ. Buddha, no. Nope. Confucius, no. Nope. Muhammad, no. Nope. Moses, not even Moses. The extent of their influence on history and the world pale in comparison to what Jesus has done. And you turn to Malachi 4.2, and what do you see? <laughs> Christmas. Right? You see Jesus, the birth of Christ. Notice chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go forth leaping like calves from the stall. Ever seen a calf leap from the stall? Come to Kansas. We'll show you how calves leap from stalls. John the Baptist's father prophesied in Luke 1:78, chapter 1, verse 78. He alluded to this verse and said that with the coming of Jesus, the day was dawning from on high. The Son of righteousness was rising. And he has been rising all over the world ever since. And what you see there in verse 2 is all these word pictures here that I I want you to notice about Jesus. Because that's exactly, if you just kind of get underneath verse 2 a little bit, on the surface, if you're just kind of casually reading verse 2, you'll miss it. And so we kind of got to dig a little bit and see Jesus here. Verse 2, a rising sun, notice. Jesus is a rising sun, he brings light where there was darkness. When you have light, you can see. You can see. And Jesus helps us to see things like they really are. Right? He makes sense out of things. Being a rising sun, He also brings security where there was danger. When it is dark, there is more danger. Right? Because we, we stumble and we stagger. But when the sun finally rises, you can move with security. And that's the way it is with Jesus. He points the way to go again and again. He's a rising sun. Secondly, he's a beam of righteousness. The sun is a sun with beams, right? Sun has beams, kind of getting the word picture. These are beams of righteousness. Jesus is going to make all things right. know that this morning. Jesus will make all things right. The wicked will not prosper in the end. They will be judged. Righteousness will endure. It will have its final say. And he has made us right with God through reconciliation. So Jesus makes all things right. He has beams of righteousness. Thirdly, wings of healing. The Son of righteousness rises with healing in its wings. We know this, don't we, from the Gospels, that Jesus is the great physician, He's the great healer. Mud on eyes heals the blind, makes the dead to rise again. He is the great healer. And He meets the tremendous need we all feel, or hope beyond the grace, that all sickness and all pain and sorrow and crying will be gone forever. There will be a day like that, brothers and sisters. It will all be gone Jesus is the great healer. Do you see him here? Do you see Jesus here in verse 2? You want to know one reason why people aren't all in for what Christmas really means? Because they're not seeing Jesus in verse 2. It's often because they don't see what it really means or makes any difference at all. The whole thing seems irrelevant to life, it doesn't connect. It's sort of like studying math. So let me apologize to any mathematicians here. If you're a lover of math, I'm sorry to use this analogy, but I think a lot of people study math and they don't see its purpose for life, right? Um, We go through high school studying geometry and we're thinking to ourselves, when in the world am I ever going to use this, right? And so we don't, it's so remote. It's It's hardly uh, any connection or commitment to it. Because it just doesn't mean a whole lot. Leave math to mathematicians. Leave religion to the religious. But here we see him making a difference, impacting the world. Malachi has them looking forward. And then notice verse 4. Now he's going to jump back. Look what he does. Look at verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses the decrees and the laws that I gave him, notice the first three words there. What are they? Remember the law. In Luke 17, 32, Jesus appeals for a sense of urgency in the last day and warns against trying to save your life by piling up worldly securities. And to drive this home to his listeners, he He says what? Remember what he said there? Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Why? Well, because the memory can save them from a similar fate. So remember the law. Or there are other things that may come to mind right now. Remember The Alamo, right? Remember 9-11. Remember the law. God says to his people, remember the law. Not in some legalistic, neurotic, law-keeping way. But this is what he's saying. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember those days I brought you out of Egypt? I saved you from the tyranny of the Pharaoh. Do you remember how I revealed my love and my holiness to you? you remember that covenant that I made with you and how I taught you the way of life and everlasting joy for your good? Remember the law? Remember the law. Then look at, look at verse 5. Now he's going to look ahead. And this is where it's... It could get tricky. As I was preparing this message, this is where verse 5 can be very difficult. So, I I want to help us with interpreting verse 5. Remember, this is prophecy, and prophecy can be difficult, theologically speaking. So, verse 5. This is why we sent the kids out, right? (laughs) Because we were going to preach verse 5. So... Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day that the Lord comes." So what I want you to notice right away is these two phrases. They can be, they can be tricky. So notice the words, "I will send you Elijah." So let's just pause there, right? You remember anything about Elijah? Elijah is... he's like long gone. We're talking second kings, right? Elijah is now long gone. And so, and then he says the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. If you And so, I think this is how I, I just kind of came to my conclusion of what verse 5 is saying. I, I think it's fitting that the last book of the Old Testament now corresponds with the last book of the New Testament, which is good all right i just want to make sure you're still with me all right everybody's still alive right we all know last book new testament revelation right so they're corresponding here and so it's amazing that now elijah is brought up and the reason why it's so amazing is the fact that the bible records that what what happened in second kings you remember elijah he didn't die did he Right? Elijah and Elisha are walking along the road there in 2 Kings 2. And as they were walking together, suddenly what happens? A chariot of fire and, and horses of fire took him where? To Jerusalem? to Right? Over to the 7 Eleven to get a slushy? Right? No. Took him up into heaven. Up into heaven in a and a whirlwind. And so in, a re- in Revelation, so now, now let's think to the New Testament, Revelation. Revelation 11, verses 3 through 12, there are pictures now of two witnesses there. At the end of the age, making one last extraordinary call to Israel to do what? It's the same call in Malachi. Repent! Judgment is coming. And so, what I believe, this is my theological belief, and so please don't burn me at the stake or stone me if you disagree. One of these characters there in Revelation 11, I believe, is the final Elijah. And the reason why I believe that is because this this character in Revelation 11 has the power to shut up the sky that no rain may fall says there. And so what did Elijah do in 2 Kings? What did he what did he tell the king? There's a drought coming, right? And what's James say about Elijah? I've actually preached this message here, so I don't remember if it was here or over there, but right? James says pray, right? Just like Elijah. Elijah was just like a man, he prayed that there'd be no rain, and it and God answered his prayer, right? And so I believe That's Elijah there in Revelation 11. So apart from the details, if you just ignore me for the last two minutes, that's okay. Because what we're really after is what's the golden nugget here in verse 5. Apart from the details, what's the main point of this prophecy? The main point is this. God always precedes wrath and judgment with a call of mercy. Let me say that again. The point here in verse 5 is that God always precedes wrath and judgment with the call of mercy. Right? You, maybe you've run into people. Maybe, maybe this is you. You've run into people, and they don't like the God of the Old Testament. All right? We like Jesus. Jesus was nice. But the God of the Old Testament, he's like an angry ogre that just likes to kill people and squash them, Right? You maybe have heard that. I mean, the God of the Old Testament, wow, God of wrath, and I mean, all these prophecies, and it sounds like he's just a mean guy. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Well, know this this morning that he sends, that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament sends messengers to Sodom. He sends messengers to Nineveh. He sends messengers to Somerville before he pours out judgment and wrath. The God of the Old and New Testament is a God of mercy. I want you to know that this morning from God's word, that our God is a God of mercy. And he doesn't just send one messenger, does he? Oftentimes, he will send not just one, but a whole line of messengers asking his people, right? Like a father. That's what we see, right? That's what we read this morning, just up, up in chapter 3. He's like a father to children, right? I'm a father. I have four kids. You know what I try to do with my children? is to be gracious and merciful, right? Before I cart them off to the bathroom, <laughs> I want there to be grace and mercy, right? Because that's the way my Heavenly Father is, isn't He? How much grace has He bestowed upon us this morning that we're breathing? We're alive. We're going to eat a fabulous lunch probably today, all of us. We have food, water to drink, homes with nice, clear, flowing sewage. God has been gracious, God is merciful. And that's the way we ought to be as well. And so, our application. And that's exactly where Malachi takes us. The final verse of Malachi, I I think, is really peculiar. It is unexpected. His aim is to spare people from being cursed. But to spare people from being cursed, people must be changed. Specifically, it says their hearts must be changed. And even more specifically, it says that the disposition of the heart Toward fathers and children must be changed. Are you like me? Do you find that interesting? Like we've come to this point and now we're talking about fathers and sons or mothers and fathers and children. It's interesting, isn't it? So application, parents, specifically the fathers. I'm really honing in on fathers this morning. I think there are questions that need to, to come by looking at verse 6 and thinking about heart change essentially I'm a father and so these questions are aimed at me as well when is the last time we turned our hearts toward our children when is the last time we turned our hearts toward our children I want you to know that you and I are the priests of our home And so the question may arise, do we bless our children? Do we we lay hands on them and bless them and ask God to grant his mercy and grace upon them and make them strong and courageous and that they would know Jesus? Are we swallowed by work that all they get is leftovers? Is that the way we conduct business at home? Do they see Jesus and Dad? Children, you're not left out here. And in the 8 o'clock, there weren't a lot of children. There were children, maybe once upon a time, but if you're like me, my mom and dad are now dead and gone. Some of you still have parents here, whether you're young or old, and so children, when's the last time You turned your hearts toward your parents. Do we as children readily obey? Or do we readily rebel? Do we neglect our parents and not care for them? And then lastly, this is really for all of us here this morning. All of us must remember this morning who has turned his heart To us this morning, which is Jesus Christ. Here in just the next few moments, um, all of us are going to stream to this altar where we meet Jesus every Sunday morning, right? I love this pulpit because I can look at it and I can see where men have been messengers and proclaimed the gospel to this parish throughout the many, many, many years but I also like to look at the altar railings. Because that's where God has changed hearts. Through Christ. Through Jesus. Whether you look back and remember or look forward and see victory. The point comes through and it's this. God has turned his heart toward us. In Jesus Christ. Christ has died. Christ has has risen, and Christ will come again. Pray with me.